All right, so we are in week four of our alignment series. Oh, man, this has been fun. I'm having to go through my own alignment every day. It's like, oh, Lord, okay, you're showing me that. Um, I guess I'm the only one. (laughs) Everybody's like, okay, good for you, Pastor. I want to start with a story. This is by a guy named Steve Carter. He was a pastor next in line at Willow Creek before all of the craziness happened. If you're familiar with Willow Creek, they had a lot of some moral failure with the main pastor, and he was next in line and, and uh, just really, really not a cool situation uh, several years ago. But he wrote this book called The Thing Beneath the Thing. And uh, I want to read you this story because I think it really sets up uh, what, we're, what we're talking about. A few years back, my wife, while my wife, Sarah, this is not me writing it, and I were in the process of selling our Grand Rapids house in anticipation of a move to Southern California. We spent an evening sharing a meal with my grandparents. When snow flurries began to fall, Sarah and I put on our jackets and loaded our eight-month-old into a Honda Civic, determined to get safely home before the storm set in. As I drove, a huge chunk of ice hit our windshield, cracking it. Startled, I swerved. The the car slid across the icy street and came to rest on the opposite shoulder. In a state of shock, we tried to figure out what had just happened. Where had this chunk of ice come from? Then it occurred to me, someone had thrown it. I quickly turned the car around, heading back to where the ice had landed. I pulled over, unbuckled, leapt from my car. I'm going to find them, I shouted back to my stunned wife. Off in the distance, I could make out figures running. I see you, I screamed. I'm calling 911. I ran until I came to an embankment. Assuming it was filled with snow, I channeled my inner athlete and attempted to jump over it. I quickly realized that instead of snow, it was a puddle of icy water. Could I make it across? No. I landed smack in the middle of it. So now I was soaking wet, freezing, getting madder by the second. You can't get away from me, I yelled, crawling out of the embankment and resuming my chase. After running across the field, I came to a neighborhood. I stopped in the middle of the street, and because I had watched CSI regularly, I closed my eyes and I listened. Immediately, I heard the growl of a garage door three houses down. I ran straight to the front door and rang the doorbell. At this point, I was completely worked up, going over everything I wanted to yell at this person once the door opened. The crack in my windshield, the ice-soaked run, the wife and son I left behind on the side of the road. I was so ready to let this guy have it. But an older gentleman answered the door. Hello? Breathing hard, I quickly asked, did some guy just run in here? He said, well, my grandson and his friend just came back in. And so I tried to keep my voice calm. Can I talk to them? Moments later, two junior high boys walked up to the front door, eyes wide, knees shaking, obviously scared out of their minds. And at this point, I heard the Spirit of God whisper to me, who's the crazy one here now? You or them? (laughs) Your wife and son are on the side of the road in a snowstorm, and you're standing here with soaking wet pants about to yell at some teenage kids. And then the kicker, the Holy Spirit asked, what's really going on, Steve? Standing on that welcome mat, eye to eye with those two freaked out students, I had a moment of clarity. I took a deep breath, and I said, nice shot. Then I turned, turned, turned back towards the car with my legs nearly frostbite and meditated on the question of what's really going on with me. In truth, I was grieving, preparing for a big move, saying goodbye to friends and family. And just hours earlier, I found out the buyers for our house had backed out. These things were taking up space in my head and heart, and they were looking for an outlet. What I didn't know at the time was there was also deep, dark, hidden places away in my heart. 
experiences I had not fully realized, hurts that had formed deep crevices in my soul. These, along with my ability, inability to trust God with my sadness and disappointment, had led me to give over, to precious, into, give over precious inner territory to a rival force, and now I was acting like a wild man. The next day, I called my mentor. I told him about my moment of madness, and he laughed. He said, welcome to the thing beneath the thing. Welcome to the endless discovery of what's really going on. Well, maybe we haven't been that mad, but we've all had those moments, right? Like, what on earth am I doing here? You know, we're like an iceberg, right? And the iceberg, only 10% of the iceberg is above the, of, of our, the surface. And we talked about it last week, this, the idea of these check engine light. The check engine light comes on when something comes above the surface and we go, what's going on here? What's happening? So last week we began talking about alignment and our emotions. And for those who are new, I just want to recap here. So there's a prophetic word over the year, year of alignment, right? You look back, back of the back when you go out there, you'll see the four prophetic words. Be strong and courageous because this is a year of alignment. That year of alignment means you're going to walk into new wineskins and this will become a place of healing. And, um, you know, I think, can you share that real quick? That, that prophetic word you had that since I just said that? I just wanted her to, she's going to come up and talk in a second, but I just felt like she just had a word specifically about that place of healing, and I just wanted her to share it real quick. Carolyn. Well, a group of us were praying. It was Dana, Susan, Vickers. We are praying in December of the year before for a word for the church for this year, and, you know, the, what we got the year before was threshing floor, and then it was COVID, race riots, you know, things like that, in shelter. So this December, we prayed, and we got the word alignment. And the Lord said, I'm going to create order. I'm going to create alignment. He said, if my family is in alignment with me, they can be in alignment with each other. And until they're in alignment with me, they can't be in alignment with each other. And then I got the scripture, he will make the crooked way straight. And I felt like he was talking about individuals with little crooked places, that we can't be in alignment with him, and then we can't be in alignment with each other, and then we can't be in alignment with the community at large. But I just felt like the Lord said, I will do it. If people will just give me a tiny olive branch, give me the tiniest end, really just get before him and say, yes. If there's anything in me that's not in alignment, Lord, you have permission to reveal it. And that was it. I just saw, he just said, just come towards me and I'll do the rest. And then I want alignment. I want my bride. I want my bride to be unspotted, unblemished. And you can't fix yourself, but I can and I will. What were you saying about, you said that had to do with the place of healing? Okay, and then I got a word for the church that the Lord said that Resonate was like a hospital and that every church has kind of a mandate. And I've volunteered at churches, I've gone to churches, I've worked at churches, I've worked at ministries, I've traveled with ministries, and every congregation has a personality and a mandate. You know, some are all about youth, some are all about discipleship. But I felt like the Lord said resonate was a hospital, a spiritual hospital, and the Lord was going to bring people who needed love and healing. 
and he was going to love and heal individuals and families, and that also he was going to raise up the healers in the congregation, that he was going to heal people that were naturally healers and deliver people that were naturally deliverers, and that he has a mandate for this church, you know, starting with the man of God, to heal and that it takes transparency and it takes humility and it takes confession to say, you know, I've got this thing I do and I don't know why I do it. It's a thing I think all the time and I don't know why I think and I don't like it. But the word of the Lord was um, also to me um, this morning, I just felt like, I mean, I just wanted to honor you. I felt like the Lord showed me that you have come with humility and confession and the Lord said that he's going to give you a double portion Amen. because of your Christ-likeness and that you've made yourself of no reputation. You've washed feet instead of being the master. Yeah. You know, we want to appear well, but really we need to appear real. Yeah. You know, and that the mandate of this church may not be, there are people that may not like it, but you have a mandate to be a hospital. Yeah. You know? Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. Sorry to put you on the spot there. I just felt like that was a good point to, to well, share that. <laughs> it's always good stuff. So we, we're going to talk about that, but this place is supposed to be a place of healing. And, uh, but it has, we, it has to start with alignment first. You've got to get in, in alignment. So alignment simply means when things are in order or in correct position. So out of alignment means things are out of order, out of correct position, right? All right, makes sense. So, but remember we were talking about the kingdom, when it, when it comes to the kingdom of God and alignment, we're not necessarily talking about balance as much as we're talking about order, right? So balance is everything having equal value, all right? So let me ask you a question. Can we on, honestly say this, that we've never had our kids have more value than our marriage? Can we honestly say that we've never had our job more, whoa, Pastor Hennessy, welcome. Uh, never had our, our job more important than our, uh, sorry, that startled me. It's my, um, <laughs> no, it's not. It looked just like him. Okay. You look like a spitting image of my pastor where I was at. That was weird. Sorry, I'm being real. I was just like, what's he doing here? I hadn't seen him in like two years. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm sorry, guys. That was a weird moment. All right. Go back. Can you honestly say that you've never, that, you, that, that your kids have never had more value than your marriage or your, that your job has never had more value than your kids or that some kind of outward thing in your life Maybe a hobby had more value than your spiritual life? I mean, we can all say that, right? We can all say, yeah, okay, it's kind of crept in a little bit. They're all vying for our affection. They're all trying to become an idol in our life. But Jesus is the only one who says, look, when you make me the center of your world, everything else falls into place. Every part of your life gets better when you make him the center of your world, right? If you make your kids the most important thing of your world, not everything in your life gets better. But when you make Jesus the most important, everything else seems to work. And we try to, I, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we just try to fit Jesus into our balanced world. 
We try to fit them in and say, okay, Jesus, you're over here and you're part of my life, Jesus, but all these things. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Order. Put me first. Matthew 6 says this, 33. We all know this verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So when we live with Jesus first, we have no need to worry about tomorrow. And in fact, I would actually say that when we start worrying about tomorrow, we can know that we might be a little bit out of alignment. And Jesus tells us to what that intensity, what that order is supposed to look like. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. How can Jesus ask that? I mean, think about that. How can he ask that? Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. That's how much we're supposed to love Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've had to take a few times kind of a just I've asked this before in a scale of one to ten. When you want to measure your own, how much you love Jesus, I, w- I would love to say, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm a ten. No, that's something we're trying to constantly working on. So what are the benefits of this alignment we're talking about? Colossians 1.9 says, so we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the first thing of alignment is we got to get knowledge of his will, wisdom and understanding. Knowledge is we know what his will is, but not wisdom and understanding is how do we actually carry out that will, right? And then it says right here, then the way you live. So number one, when we come in alignment, then the way you live will honor and please God. We want to do that. Number two, your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Remember, fruit is meant to be eaten. You produce some kind of fruit. Are you producing something that people enjoy eating, or is it rotten? And then third, all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So the third thing is, when you get in alignment, you begin to get downloads of revelation of God. What, what am I supposed to do? Really, I think, when I, when I see this, because the more we know God, the better, the better we know God, the more we love people. And I think the more we get in alignment, we stop getting our eyes off ourselves. And we start getting our eyes on others. And the Lord begins to say, hey, it's not just about you. It's about what I want to do through you to impact the world. And uh, alignment's a big deal. So here's the problem, right? Paul puts it in Romans 7. I love you, Jesus, but I keep falling away. I, do, I, don't, I do what I don't want to do. We all have that, that whole thing. It's like the train tracks. We come to junction, right? And the, the conductor does the thing, you know, and you're like, well, I'm supposed to be going to California, but instead I'm headed to New York. And you're heading to New York and you're, you're like, if you're on a train track, you ain't going backwards. You ain't going anywhere. You're, you're stuck on that train. And that's what happens in our lives. It's like we want to do the right thing. We want to love Jesus. We want to be in alignment. We want to do all these things. We want to be committed. We want to love God. We, want, we don't want all these sins. We don't, want to, we don't want to keep falling down. We don't want to keep uh, just having issues where it's like, why do I keep responding this way? But it's like these train tracks and we can't seem to get away. And it's really talking about the law of sowing and reaping. It's a spiritual law. Right? So let me just ask you, if you spend 15 hours a week watching Game of Thrones on Netflix, 
and 15 minutes with the Lord, who do you think is going to win in your life? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm talking to myself. It's like I could have spent that 20, 30 minutes instead of surfing on Facebook looking at cat videos. I could have been spending time with Jesus. So you can wish you think different all day long. You can wish that you acted different all day long. You can hope for change. But until you start planting the change with sowing the seed into your spirit, man, you're not going to change. And I talk to people all the time who are like, have no passion for Jesus and no passion for what he's passionate about. And I ask him, do you pray? Do you read his word? Are you hanging out with people that are passionate, read his word? No. Well, you're not going to change. You're just not. And I'm not trying to be mean about this. It's just this truth. So we've been talking about how to get in alignment with our emotions. And uh, first of all, we've got to understand we've got to start with ourselves. We've got to start with ourselves. Jesus tells us how to get in alignment. He says the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The heart is our inner man, our soul, our spirit. So the heart is the whole inner person. Our, our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Our, our mind is our entire thought life, even our subconscious. And our strength is our bodies and our energies. And the problem is we tend to think of love in a sense of the way our modern world thinks of love. Feelings. Nothing but feelings, right? We think, man, I, I love Jesus when I'm having an ugly cry in my car to my favorite worship song, you know? Way make a miracle work. You know, I love you, Lord. That's a great thing. You're feeling something. But the Bible tells us love is a whole lot deeper than that. Loving God is doing what he says. Loving God is, is caring about what he cares about, what he loves, what he's passionate about. It's obedience to his will. Loving him literally with everything within us. So we've been talking about how do we love God with our emotions? How do we get in alignment with our emotions? And um, let's face it, most of us, our emotions get the better of us sometimes. Our emotions make us do crazy stuff. I think about teenagers that I've seen teenage girls get around a cute guy and their emotions make them do some crazy stuff. And I've seen, I'm like, people around them are going to this, this girl like, you shouldn't date this guy. This is a bad dude. He's an axe murderer, literally axe murderer. And she's like, I, I get what you're saying, but he's not like that with me. <laughs> He loves me. Yeah, but have you seen what he's done? Oh, but he's not like that with me. See, our emotions play tricks on us. That's why we need the word of God to give us our firm foundation of what's right. The word of God is what actually tells us this is what's true. Don't go about off your emotions all the time. The emotions are what the check engine light. The emotions are what's going on in inside to say, hey, you feel something. But we have to go back to the word of God to figure out what it really means. And we'll be talking about that more in the future. But. When our emotions are out of alignment, we say things we wish we, we wouldn't have said. And when we're talking about out of alignment, we're talking about emotions that we either overreact or underreact. We go crazy or we don't feel anything. Both are out of alignment. And um, sometimes we shriek back from our destiny because of insecurity. We withhold love from people to manipulate them. We send, you know, somebody says something and we spiral into depression because they criticized us. All these things 
are telling us something is going on in your heart. We've got we to work on it. So all these issues in our soul can arise from a couple of different places. And I'm about to, Carolyn, just, just two more minutes here, two few more minutes, but because um, she's really the good stuff here. I want to hear in a second. But uh, uh, they arise from internal wounds that happen, things that happen a lot of times in our, in our childhood, crisis, trauma, generational sins or patterns. Let me just, let me tell you, when I was about, when Grace was a year old, she's 14, when she was a year old, we had these two cats named Billy and Jack. And uh, Billy and Jack would come to the front, to the, we would close the door and we had, a, we had a, our house had tile and then we went to, the, to the, ba- the bedroom, it was carpet. And these two cats, when we closed the door, they hated it when we closed the door and they would, they would go up to the door and they all, all over, you know, and they would eventually, eventually they eroded away all the carpet till all there was was a little tack strip showing, or some of it, right? And we've eventually got it fixed. I didn't, I, I didn't have a lot of money back in that day, so uh, it probably went a little longer than it should have. But one day, my little one-year-old Grace is walking, and she steps barefooted on that tack. And when she does, she lets out a blood-curdling scream. And blood and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so what was interesting, though, was every time she got to that threshold, she would take a massive step over it, which which makes sense even after it was fixed. But what was interesting was when she would get to any threshold in the house, she would take a big step over it. You see, the child brain doesn't understand. Hey, oh, mom and dad had this one little threshold that needed to be fixed. The child brain says, as a little kid, threshold hurt. I don't know what I, every threshold's pain. So I spend my time taking steps over that. How much do we do that in our own lives? As a little kid, maybe, maybe, your dad, you would ask questions as a little kid, and, and you would just say, hey, and, I, and he would be trying to explain something to you, and, and you didn't understand, and he would make you feel stupid every time he said it. And so now, you think, I don't ever want to feel stupid. I never want to be put in that position again, so I'm not going to let anybody ever make me feel stupid again, because that's what people do. If I, if I ask a question... They're going to make me feel stupid. So now you go through whole, your entire life with this insecurity, and you go through life, and people are going, why didn't you ask about this? Well, I, I, why didn't you just, you could have found all this information out. You see how this stuff happens as a little kid is in, your, in your brain. And so we've got to go back to the old memory sometimes when we get stuck moving forward in the future. We've got to go back. And uh, I want to just show you one thing that I learned, and... Um, it's a, anybody ever heard of the genogram before? Oh, just, nobody's heard of genogram, huh? Yeah, the, an, the ancestry person over here, family tree. Genogram was used, is used by hospitals to help you figure out your medical history and mom and dad, you know, who had this person had heart disease, that kind of thing. They use it in psychology as well, mental illness, that kind of stuff. But I remember reading this book uh, called Emotionally Healthy Church, and one of the things he brought forth was an idea of a spiritual genogram. And I never, I, I obviously knew that there's things that happen in, in our past, but, um, but it was just interesting to see, to, to actually start putting it down on paper. 
I want us to put, Sarah, can you put that up there for me? So this is, this is really interesting because he took Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Bible and he created a geno- genogram for them. So Abraham married Sarah, then who had Isaac, who married Rebecca, who had Jacob, who had 12 sons. But what's interesting is Abraham, on his way into Egypt, if you guys know the story, he lied to Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah, and told him, because she was af- he was afraid they're going to kill me for her because she was beautiful. He lied to her and said, she's my sister. Well, what did Isaac do with Rebekah, his son? In Egypt, he lied to Pharaoh and said, He's my, she's my sister. Now, what did Jacob do? He lied to his dad and pretended to be his brother to get his, the blessing. And then what did Jacob's kids do? They lied and said that, that, that a, an animal had eaten Joseph, his favorite, his favorite son, and lied to him. Do you see the generational pattern that follows there? Well, what, what, also another thing was Abraham and Sarah had a, fa- had a favorite son, Isaac. He was the son of promise. How did they treat Hagar? They didn't treat him very good. Esau had a, or, or, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, no, Isaac had a favorite son, Esau. Jacob had a favorite son. Who was that? Joseph. That favoritism created all kinds of havoc in their lives. And it was so interesting to watch. And so I took some time, and I'm actually going to, give you guys a little bit of uh, homework to do. I took a time and I began creating my own genogram and I began asking the Lord, what are some patterns? It's pretty interesting. I'm not going to say I'm here because my dad's here. You know, we're all, we all have stuff on our, and I'm passing on stuff to my kids. So look, that's the deal. But the, the point is some things are good and some things are just patterns. You know what? Some of it's the loss of sowing and reaping. They sowed into them. It's okay to lie here. And so the next kid, it's okay to lie here. It's okay to lie here. It's okay to be play favorites. It's okay to play favorites. And it creates all this kind of stuff. So what um, I would love for you guys to do is create your own genogram. And so what I've done is if you use the, the uh, QR code on the front and you go to Emotionally Healthy Church or Emotionally Healthy tab, there is a bunch of questions that you can ask. You, you can do it now or you can do it later, whatever. But there's a little, there's a little thing. And you, you, there, it's, it has this genogram up there. It has a, a sample of one. And you just go and ask these questions right here. I thought there's, Describe your parents' and grandparents' marriages. How is conflict and, ha- and anger handled in your family of origin? Are there any alcoholics, substance abuse in your family tree? How was sexuality talked about or not talked about? How was money handled? Were there any family secrets out of wedlock, pregnancy, uh, abortion, incest, family, financial scandal. Were there any traumatic losses? Do you see any generational themes? And it's really interesting is if, is if you'll go and you'll actually write that out, and there's, it's all explained in that little section. If you'll write that out, you're actually going to see some, some generational things. Say, because the point is not to go back and say, oh, mom, dad, look what, look what happened, look what you did. You don't have to show it. You shouldn't show it to them. What you need to do is go back and you're, you start looking. You say, go, where are some things that have been going on in my, my past that have been passed down, generational patterns, sins, or whatever? And you say, Lord, stop it with me so I, when I don't have to pass it on to the next generation. Amen? Well, I'm going to call Carolyn up here, and we're going to finish this conversation Let's give it up for Carolyn. She's such a blessing. <laughs> Carolyn, do you want to add anything to that? Well, when I was uh, sitting there, I was thinking, you know, Revelations 3, where it says, well, 
I'm not poor, I'm wealthy, I'm comfortable, I have need of nothing. And God said, no, you're poor, you're wretched, you're pitiful. And we get very confused. If we're comfortable, we think everything's okay. And then randomly once in a while, you know, you run out in the snow to attack kids that threw ice at your car, and you think, oh, that's a one-off. But because we get comfortable or we worship balance and not order, we don't always know where God wants to work and where he wants us to look. And so we get confused by comfort and discomfort, which is that Revelation 3 where he said, I say you're not rich. I say you're pitiful. So. Mm-hmm. What about family? You want to talk about that for a second. What, what, what happens with generational sins? Or- okay, so... You know, there's function in every family. So there's never this indictment, was your family good or bad? And this is where people go, and they say, well, I had a good mother. Well, my mom did her best. Well, of course she did. You know, we're all doing our best. Even when we have a bad day and we hurt people's feelings, we're really in that moment, that was our best. And so what happens is in early formation, we learn how to just adapt around something that isn't right. You know, like parents that don't speak to each other or tension in the house. Kids learn how to be quiet or to go do something, go entertain themselves, not realizing that's not good for them. And then later as adults, when they're around tension, they retreat. There's that old blueprint. So see, it isn't big, it wasn't a fire, it wasn't wild child abuse, but subtle things form subtle bad habits in us avoidance, retreat, hide. And so then what happens is we also, as we age, kids don't think, hey, grown-ups, that, that's not working for me. You know, kids aren't sophisticated. They think, it's me. If I was a little different, you wouldn't blow up. If I was a little different, you'd play with me. If I was a little different, you would get on the floor and play Legos. You wouldn't drink. You'd cook. You'd come to my stuff. And so kids internalize, which just means take responsibility for whatever's not working in their childhood home. And right there, the enemy comes and says, yes, you caused this, but I can help you. You know, if you were numb, you'd feel better. And so as soon as children numb a little bit, they feel like, ah, they feel better. Or the enemy comes and says, you should try harder. You should try harder. And so it sets up this striving, perfectionism. And so a lot of times you'll see someone that makes themselves indispensable. They do everything for everybody. But it's a striving, and it's really not a love or servant-based. It's a terror-based. I have to re-earn my place in your life. I have to deserve a place here. And then I have to re-earn it and then re-deserve it. And so he's just set patterns in motion that don't look bad, but they're not of God. They're not of God, and they're not his best. And these patterns come out of fear, or they come out of loneliness. And then they come out of a desire to not feel that way. So we either retreat, or we form behaviors to fix it, which is still not God, that's the flesh. And so then, uh, you know, the aging goes on, and as we go on, we make a series of vows. I'll never feel this way again. I'll never do this with my kids. Or we make agreements, it is me. I'm not special. I'm too much. I'm needy. 
or, you know, we'll make agreements the other way. I'll never get overlooked again. You know, it's the one person that's always talking, always interrupting, always trying to be included in everything. But agreements and vows come much later. But what you have first is the simple interpretation of a child. You have the misinterpretation. This is what my environment means. It means I'm bad. It means I'm not important. It means my brother's more important. It means, you know, I shouldn't ask for anything. Or it means you don't get what you want until you're on fire. You know, and so I do a lot of couples work, and I'll have, you know, real typical couple, and I'm not being sexist, but typically people get to family therapy by a man is being pulled in like this by a mad woman. You know, and you have a woman who sets herself on fire, and then her husband goes, oh, you meant that? <laughs> and that's the typical. That, nobody thought that was funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's really typical. <laughs> People are leaving. She learned that she doesn't get what she needs until she's on fire. And he learned that if I just numb myself, this will pass. If I just let you do this, that you'll stop eventually. They didn't develop that in their marriage. No, they developed that when they were three or four or seven. So biblically, what is the process for us to start at least the beginning point of, of, of coming to healing, you know, because we've got all well, personalities. We all have loud personalities, quiet personalities. We're not saying like you just become a robot. We're saying these things out of alignment. You want to talk about that for just a second? What would be personality versus really something that's out of order in your life um, emotionally? Well, so say you are kind of energetic or talkative. There, there's, you know, there's a lot about who you are in Christ. The maladaptive step is if you don't have gears, like if you're always loud and talkative, if you're always quiet, if you're always at the back of the room. So if something's from Christ, we're going to have gears. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to step back. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to speak up. And so when someone has kind of one speed, it really is more of a maladaptive. It's more of a, a veneer self. Like, here's the person I'm going to present, or here's how I know to be, and I'm not going to be anything else. And so when you don't see, you know, someone should be sad sometimes, or funny sometimes, or noisy, or quiet. Yeah. So biblically, what, we, we've talked about this before already, but how, how do we begin the process of healing in our emotions so that we're, we're whole. Okay, good. That's the, that's the goal, right? We want to be whole in our emotions, right? So, you know, listen, until he returns, may he find you praying, sowing, or reaping. And these things are seasons. So praying is like when we're petitioning or hurting. And sowing is the hard toil, the hard work of raising kids, the hard work of a marriage problem, the hard work of cleaning, you know, junk off of the lot. And then the reaping. So we're supposed to always be a work in progress. And I think the first misnomer is the idea that we're going to get to a spot where like, okay, the kids are good, debt's good, all right. And that's that Revelation 3. You say you're comfortable, wealthy, and have need of nothing, and I say you're pitiful. So really what we have to have is a humility and a capacity for confession. 
and you know, people don't like that word confession because it's, it, you know, we think it's like I've got something wrong, but confession can just be asked for help. So humility and confession are the only doors to real Christ-like change. And if you have something that changes and then it goes back and it changes and it goes back, you're trying to change it by yourself, which is pride. And so pride and secrecy are, are so important to the enemy. And pride and secrecy, you know, I'll manage this. I'll work on this myself. I was ministering to a woman for months now and kept saying, you know, I need to just, I need a whole day with you to minister deliverance. And she was like, no, I can't. Oh, I don't want to. Oh, I can't miss work. We'll just keep having our talks. And I was like, no, yeah, you need deliverance ministry. And what we're doing over here is not going to do that. And so finally she called me. She goes, I'm in. And the Lord showed me right there, a lot of it broke off of her. Just her saying, I'm in. Yeah. And when she got to my office yesterday, I didn't know who she was. So much of it broke when she humbled herself to the Lord and said, I can't do it by myself. I'm going to let somebody else tell me what to do. And so the other thing is the Lord so wants you to run your race. And he wants you to walk in who you really are. And he wants to take the limits off your gifts. And he wants to take the limits off your relationships. But it's, it's you know, it says humble yourself and then. And the humble yourself is simply talk. Start talking about it. Start talking about what doesn't work. Start talking about kids that say, I hate him. You know? And we don't ever share any of that, so... Yeah, you talked about getting our history right. Yeah. yeah. You can talk about that for a second. Oh, you're going there. All right. I wasn't going to go there. So, okay. So most of the time, people have a very idealized version of their mom and dad and a very idealized version of their history. Well, you know, my dad lost his temper here and there, but he was Irish. Okay. Well, how often? How'd you feel when he did it? And I make that joke. My last name's Donegan. So, you know, or my mom, you know, she really loved us. She cooked and cleaned and was at all our stuff. Oh, did, what did you do alone with your mom? Oh, I didn't really get any time alone with her. But boy, she was in there. So we revise and idealize because it hurts to think someone didn't love you back the way you loved them. And we idealize as a very confused way to show honor. I'm going to honor my parents by not talking about this stuff that didn't feel very good. Okay, it's not honor, it's dishonesty. So honoring your parents is for you to become who you are in Christ, to not bring shame to their name, you know, in the Old Testament. But also, we have to get past the history that doesn't hurt or that's a little idealized and get to our real history. And it's not saying your mom and dad were bad, because there's not really bad and good. It's not saying was there abuse, was there not. It's for you to become who you are in Christ, and it honestly isn't even about your parents. It's not about your grandparents. It's about you being transparent with you. You being clean with yourself. And, you know, people, when I ministered to this woman yesterday, she said, I just, you know, I'm just so, feel so bad. I feel like I'm telling on my mom. 
And I said, you know what, though? I'll never tell her. <laughs> you don't tell her, I won't tell her. And she hadn't thought of it, that she wasn't being disloyal. She's like, oh. I said, you're getting your heart healed. You don't ever have to tell her any of this. You just need to get yourself better. And the dishonest framework she had for this was what my family was like. I don't know why I'm such a mess. It had kept her stuck and had just ruined a lot of her life. So. Yeah, so what, what, is, what is the thing that happens, I guess, or that you can't get free when you don't go back and actually admit that there was actually hurt there? Mm-hmm. So when you kind of say, well, let's not go there. That's the past. Or, my, you know, or we just, yeah, she was just trying to work through stuff. But when we don't actually recognize, I think I got hurt there. I think I was expecting more, and, and I didn't get it. What's kind of the result of that? Well, when you try to control how you feel by not feeling it, you know, I'm not going to talk about this because then I'll get sad. I'm not going to talk about that because then I'll feel bad about someone I really like and I really love. So first off, control is not from God. Transparency is from God. You know, it's humility. And what also happens is when we continue in a dishonest version kind of of what happened, thinking, well, this is love. You know, this is honor and love for me to just not talk about it and for me to position it this way. You will bring to you the very thing you have vowed to not bring to you. I'll never blah, blah, blah. When you make a vow, it brings that very thing to you, to your doorstep. And also, it makes it where there's a part of you that God can't get to. There's this part of you that says, well, I've got it, God. I'll take care of my family. I'll take care of my heart. And that self-protection divides a little part of you. And then you're the double-minded man. And the only sacrifice, and honestly, it's a perversion to think that your sacrifice is what your family needs. There was one sacrifice. It was Jesus. And he paid such a price for you to be clean, to be a clean, clear vessel. And these vows and agreements and ignoring stuff and reconfiguring it and thinking that dishonesty is somehow honor and not talking about something is honor, it's love. It all comes from a good place, but it comes from the heart, which is flesh. That is the fleshly version of love, and it's not real. And so what happens is that little self-protection creates a wall between you and God where he doesn't have all of you. And then you think, how come other people hear from God, but I don't? How come I don't feel the Holy Spirit and worship like other people? How come I don't? Why do I keep doing this? I don't want to do this. Why is this stuck? How come my prayers have a ceiling? And it almost always is that division of you, that little self-protection or that little vow to sacrifice and not talk about things, or just flat-out pride. Yeah, I've got this going on, but I've got it. I don't need to email Brother Fred for prayer. (laughs) I don't need to tell my small group. I'm trying to honor my family, so I'm not going to tell this. I'm going to keep it private. Okay, that's just pride. So it's important, I mean, we confess, you don't, you don't confess to everyone, but you should be able to confess to someone. This is one. Yeah, 
Yeah, and um, so say somebody is, we're talking about this idea of like, okay, say, man, I, every time I get in a situation, I respond with anger about something. So walk us through how do I partner with the Holy Spirit to start getting to the, to the core of what's going on so that God can bring healing to that? Because I'm like, because really ultimately, if, if it's, you know, with my kids, if I keep doing that, if I were doing that over and over, it's going to bring destruction to them if I keep getting angry over a little thing. You spill milk and you blow up. So I'm like, I don't want to do that, but I, it's like the train tracks. I just keep doing that. How do we partner with the Holy Spirit to actually get in there and begin to, the process of working through that? Well, first, it's always to first humble yourself before the Lord and say, you know what, I have this pattern it's in my thought life, or I have this cyclical sorrow, or I have this despair, or I blow up, or I feel rejected, or I hurt my kids' feelings, or I you know, don't know why I do this at work. If you have anything cyclical, big or little, you want to go into prayer and say, this is not from you. But the other thing, if you're, an event is this big, your reaction has to be, this big and this brilliant thing you said last week overreacting and underreacting is what you want to look for I think you told me that I know (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm smart Ellen you know like Lucy you know was in one of the workshops last month and she talked about underreacting like always trying to be cheerful and positive when she was a new Christian not realizing that was squashing So when we underreact to something, like you're telling a friend a story and they go, aren't you mad? Aren't you going to confront that? Aren't you going to go to your boss? Well, what did they say? Oh, I'm not going to say anything. Okay, underreacting and overreacting are a sign that there's a thing under the thing. There's a little something. And whatever triggered you was a reminder So the trigger is important to look at, too. If you blow up, did you feel like unheard, unseen, disrespected, invisible, unimportant, left out? The kinds of things we overreact to are the clue about where it is. If something's an emergency and you underreact, okay, there's probably some old something back there where you numbed out or felt overwhelmed. That's good. Well, with just our last few moments, um, first of all, did we, um, we've, got, we've got a workshop coming up in September that she's going to be doing. We'll put the dates on that. Um, it's either the third Saturday or the fourth Saturday yeah. of September. We're going to do a workshop on kind of just inner healing. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put that information. So she's going to do a couple hours on that. But if you'll just take everybody through some prayer here and maybe... Maybe allow the Holy Spirit to to do some work. Well, Holy Spirit, first, I thank you for you, just your presence, your friendship. You're such a friend. And we come before God who is the wonderful counselor, who is the great physician. And Lord, if there's any area that we've been ignoring, any area we talk ourselves out like oh that was a one-off oh it doesn't hurt my feelings that was a long time ago well they didn't mean it oh that's just him lord if there's something we keep ignoring 
bring it to mind. It can be a little thing. It can be a big thing. It can be a new thing. It can be a childhood thing. Well, Lord, I just believe in your faithfulness to this house and that you faithfully give us words, pictures, memories, phrases. But the Lord says, take that thing and by faith, I want you to find it. It could be a little chain on you. It could be a little thorn. Just by faith, grab it and hold it up in the air. And say, Lord, you have my permission to bring your great work in me to completion. You have my permission to take me wherever you want me to go. You have my permission, God. I don't want self-protection. I don't want pride or secrecy. I saw people opening their hand and I saw the Holy Spirit like the dove. Lord, I know by your spirit that you will meet us at this place. And so you've got one thing he gave you. Just hang on to it. You just need one little thing. So think about a knot. When you get the right string, what happens to the whole knot? The whole thing unravels. And the Lord's going to give you the one right string. He's going to give you that one little thing that will unravel 23 things. So just go before the Lord and just say you have permission. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.